listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. So Jeff and I are back and we are excited to introduce the second in one of our new formats that we are rolling into Rattle and Pedal here in 2023. So the first one we we launched at the end of 22, which was an in five steps model that we're using to dissect different marketing concepts, tactics, strategies, you name it, you know. And this one is we're calling behind the headlines. And we are excited. What we're going to do is bring you an analysis of something going on in the news, something either in a professional services firm, in the world of marketing. And we're going to kind of do our best to go behind the headlines and explain what's going on and why you should care. So Jeff has teed us up and he's on the hot seat today with topic number one. But, you know, Jeff, I think what I'll do is I'll read the headline of the article that started. That's the tip of the iceberg on this. And there's the, you know lots of articles, of course, around this. But this is the article that I started with and drew from. It's an article dated December 15th in the Wall Street Journal. It says, EY looks at backup plans on split amid higher costs, slower growth. So we're going to basically talk about this EY split that's been in the works for a better part of a year now. So let me just pause there and say, I just threw a lot at you really fast. Jeff, happy 2023. Happy 2023, buddy. Good to see you again. You too. Was this your brilliant idea to come up with this in the headlines? This has, this has I don't, probably. Yeah, it's probably my brilliant idea. You're the one who picked the topic, of course. And you picked the hardest topic out of the gate. Hey, let's go after this split of a, split of a you know multi-billion dollar global corporation. That's an easy one. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it kind of reminds me of when we did the McKinsey brand teardown. Yes. You know, one of the things, hey, this is divergent thoughts on growing professional services firms. So we got to jump in and examine, dissect, you know. How well, I like that you brought it about growth because I do, you know, obviously this is not a marketing topic. This is a growth topic and it's definitely, you know, I, I assume at the heart of all this, you're going to say is, is the split that has to do with growth. That's one element of it. But let's jump into this thing. So I guess maybe the very first thing is just what's set some context for people. If they haven't read about this or they simply haven't cared, they see the headline, they don't care. What the heck is going on? What, what is EY doing? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that. Why should people care? This is the third go around on this potential split of E&Y. Oh, really? Splitting its consulting practice from its audit practice. And it seems to be a perennial topic among those big firms. And and rightly so. And I think the, the reason it's always in the news and it's so relevant is that the big four touch a lot of the world of business. I want to say I saw a statistic that the big four alone audit almost two-thirds of all public companies. I'm surprised it's not higher than that, actually. I mean, I would, I would have thought it was 95%, right? I mean, it's like, you know, once you're public, you would think that the expectation is that you're only going to go to one of those firms. Well, you know, it's funny putting the size of these firms in context and their impact on the market. I remember reading a story and I saw this fact that just made my head spin that the combined revenues of the big four are larger than two thirds of the GDPs of countries around the globe. So four like- companies <laughs> are bigger than two thirds of the individual countries. 
that that exist in the world. So leading these firms is like running a country is the analogy, right? You know, yeah. In in many respects. Yeah. 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 Except it's a cross-border country. And, and and these firms, contrary to what you might say, I think are trendsetters. Because they have such market share, they really set the tone for so many other firms that are smaller than they are. Yeah. And I think it's it's really important for our listeners to understand what's going on here because there's strategic fallout. Strategic fallout for their firms? For their firms. Yeah. As the big four go, so go so many other accounting and consulting firms. And I talk to a lot of these accounting firms and they're all struggling with this issue of consulting and does it make sense for a consulting firm and accounting firm to be united? They have very different business models. One's a regulated business. The other is not. And the tentacles across the two are incredibly complex, particularly for organizations that are global, where you have regulatory bodies in every country with their own take on how their businesses should be regulated. It's complex, but there's a reason that these these companies have grown up together, if you will, as siblings. Before we go too much deeper, I want to just take a pause and I want to just make sure that we quickly explain what's going on. And I want to clarify your point on why this is really important to understand and why it's important to think about as a, as a firm leader or a firm marketer that's not inside of EY, right? So EY is splitting its accounting and audit business from its consulting business, right? And you said that they've, they've given those two splitted entities code names. Accounting firm is the code name is AssureCo, and the code name for the consulting firm is NuCo. And they're planning to split it and the, and the consulting business would be spun off and would go public on the IPO market to raise capital for the business. And then originally they were planning to raise corporate debt, traditional corporate debt for the balance of that. I think the whole deal, when I read the article, said it was $30 billion was what they were going to raise on the split, $11 billion in equity through IPO and $18 billion in debt. So that's the backstory, right? And just to be crystal clear, like, why do I care? Is, is it mostly because the competitive dynamics are going to shift? Now, all of a sudden, there's going to be like a new consulting firm that kind of just shows up out of nowhere that is not either, however you look at it, saddled by its audit business or supported by its audit business, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, new, it's a new entity that's just arriving on the scenes potentially in the next 12 to 18 months. I think that's a nice summary. There's going to be a competitor that is unfettered in its ability to develop partnerships, its ability to go after clients, and its ability to innovate, really, in so many respects. You know, E&Y, and I competed against E&Y, their Entrepreneur of the Year program, and their, you know, startup technology practice is exceptional. And E&Y, audits some of the biggest names in tech, Google, Facebook, Amazon, <laughs> Apple, Netflix, just to get a feel for that, Workday. I'm not familiar with any of these companies. So could you give me some I'm more familiar with? Yeah. <laughs> that limits what you can do creatively, mm-hmm. I think, from a consultancy perspective. So I think having an entity that is unfettered gives the organization 
I think, the energy it needs to really drive much more innovation. That's on both sides of the split that, you know, you think it drives in, it opens up innovation opportunities for both AssureCo, I'm using the code names, and, and NuCo? I think so. In innovation in different ways. I mean, when you look at, you know, the promise of the NuCo, it really is about transformation of businesses. That's, that's what consulting does. Audit, on the other hand, is really about transparency and trust. But where is audit going to go with blockchain technology? Who, who knows where that's going to go? I find it much more interesting on the consulting side. And I think that's where the cascading effects from a strategic perspective are going to happen first with the big four, because they're going to have to make decisions about do they split or do they not split? And if so, what does that look like to their operating models? Do they continue as is or does something evolve out of that? I don't know. The next tier, the BDOs, the Grant Thorntons, the RSMs of the world will need to make decisions about what they want to do as a result. Because I'm sure they're competing against some of those big four players for some of these technology engagements as, as well. So and, and then it just kind of cascades all the way down from there. You've read up a lot on this. What's your take? Why are they doing this? Is it client driven? Is it, you know, I mean, the biggest criticism I, I would say of most audit consulting marriages is conflict of interest, right? It's like, you know, you're, you're on the one hand, you're auditing me. On the other hand, you're, you're consulting me on stuff that could affect all kinds of things. And that's been the biggest criticism for years. Is that driving it or is it something else? I think that's a great question. With any strategic choice that you're making, it's multidimensional. It's nuance. And what we're seeing, and I think this is, we probably should have said this at the beginning, you and I have no idea what's going on behind yeah. the doors at ENY. All we can read is what's in the headlines or maybe from connections we might have at these firms. But even these firms aren't going to be talking much about this because they're going to, uh, the partners in particular are going to have NDAs. They can't share this stuff. So to a large degree, it's speculative. But in the firms that I've been in, when you see major transactions like this, whether it's an acquisition or a divestiture or an IPO, I think there's several things that are in the soup here. One is conflict of interest. You've hit on it. I can't imagine what it's like to operate in this morass of a global company with all these different regulatory bodies and being able to operate conflict free, because there are a lot of gray areas where the services overlap, particularly around tax and tax implications, compensation, the use of technology. I mean, all of these big accounting firms, technology practices, consulting practices came out of accounting systems, right? Let's use software to more effectively yeah. do accounting. And it just kept evolving. So I think conflict of interest is one. And in this split, just to give you a feel for this, almost three quarters of the tax partners from ENY would go to the consulting business. Interesting. So that gives you gives you a feel for for the conflicts of of interest. So that means though they're they're tax partners, they're really providing more consulting services than they are tax at this point in time. So they've morphed into consultants really away from where they began. Yeah. And if you if you ever 
<laughs> question whether or not these organizations are, are taxed enough. The fact that three quarters of these these tax people are consultants <laughs> tells yeah. you something about yes. what's going on in, in tax law. Yeah. The other thing I think that's happening, that's driving this, if you will, in addition to conflict of interest, is growth. When you have these conflicts of interest, you can't come up with these different strategic partnerships. You can't go after certain clients. This industry is growing really quickly. And these firms are business people and they want to make sure they're capturing their share of the upside. Deflecting that risk, right? But yeah. 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 Um, The other thing that's going on here is they also wanted to to mitigate risk because of the conflicts of interest, because of the nature of audit. And we've seen you know, some really highly visible audit failures, not the the least of which the most recent one of FTX and what's going on yeah. there, all the way back, you know, to my history at Anderson and Enron. Yeah. There are significant risk associated with audits. Some of them are material, some of them are not material, but the the risk exists. As you say that, the cynic in me instantly went to the the split of Arthur Anderson and Anderson Consulting, which of course became Accenture for people that are maybe younger and didn't know that. And at the time, nobody knew that you know Arthur Anderson was going to basically you know torpedo itself into the ground as a result of those things. <laughs> and initially, I thought, huh, I wonder if that's an indication of what's to come here. Just being being glib that there's something underneath the, underneath the surface we don't know about, right? Clearly not the case. Or I shouldn't say clearly not the case, but but highly likely not the case. I had a question for you as it relates to that real quick. How much of this is like, did you think is about kind of like new and old? Like, you know, I mean, people have called audit business, the audit business old for 30 years and consulting, of course, and technology enabled consulting is growth. So is, is some of it just like, well, the consulting side of this business is growing faster. So let's let's carve it out where it can get a higher valuation, be worth more and not be saddled by this, this audit business that maybe is lower growth and sort of seen as yesterday's news. Is that some of what's going on here or is that purpose? I'm being overly simplistic. I totally know that. I'm, I'm not like trying to be an expert here. I'm just curious your take. I think there is some of that. I don't think I'd call it old and new. I think I'd call it sexy and That's unsexy. a better way of putting it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's for sure. There's also, and this gets to those, we don't know what's going on. Yeah. But oftentimes when you see transactions like this, liquidity events occur to meet certain financial liabilities that may exist within the organization related to pensions. There may need to be a payoff of some kind. I don't know about that, but I, I assume there's something going on and the audit partners are seeing, you know, they're going to see a big payday here. What are your point too? You think about, you know, the, all the talk about retirement and, and, and baby boomer retirement, right? I mean, there could be a whole looming chunk of, of partners in there that, that need an, an exit and, they, and it's a way to get capital in the door to to fund all of that. And, and so, you know, for all we know. Okay. So we've talked about the why. So what's going on with the delays? Because when did this first kind of start hit, hit the street, if you will? I mean, you said this is the third time, but this, I guess the most current iteration, when did this first start to come to air or to the surface? And then what's happened in December that that's changing things? Uh, I think we both know what it is, but talk to us a little bit about that. I think there's a case study here. <laughs> in the dynamics of business. You know, this has been going on for about 18 months or so. 
and the thoughts of doing this transaction occurred before inflation, before interest rate increases in a totally different business environment. And all the numbers looked really positive to everyone involved. And now with the interest rates going up, businesses are beginning to cut back in anticipation of recessionary pressures. Consulting is often one of the first things it's cut by companies. And E&Y is already beginning to see some of that pressure. So the numbers that worked 18 months ago may not be the numbers that still work in terms of the way the deal is structured. You know, for example, you know, they wanted to IPO a portion of these shares. Well, the IPO market is essentially dried up. Yeah, it's funny. They have some data in that particular journal article where I think it's, I mean, just to give people some context, there was roughly a thousand deals, IPOs done in 2021, and there were 167 lists by 2022, by the time of this article, basically. So only 10% as many deals went to market in 22 as 21 because the broader stock market was off so far that valuations were, were down. Of course, you know, one could argue, I haven't looked at the historical trends, but you know, I'm sure that that thousand was exceptionally high and that rate, you know, valuations were beyond appropriate in, in 2021, right? But regardless, different market, to your point. Yeah. But I think generally the, the same mega trends are still in place. Audit continues to be unsexy. Consulting continues to be sexy. Consulting is, you know, multiples faster growth than audit. And there's different operating models. One's regulated, one's not. So I think those those mega trends continue for ENY and for the industry as a whole. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. So I think the in the article, they talk about how the deal will probably look different than it would have looked 12 months ago. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this, but I think, you know, when to kind of close out on that first headline, which is basically that, you know, when they first started to look into doing the deal in early 22, they were saying corporate bond rates or debt rates were, you know, just under 3%. And by the time that article published, it was up, you know, above six and kind of hovering up at five. And so I think one of the things in the article was saying that they would probably go to private equity firms and private debt markets, you know, to fund a portion of this. There's also an interesting comment in there I wanted you to comment on where they said something along the lines of they're shooting for a soft separation with both firms under one umbrella by mid-23 and a formal breakup once once market conditions allowed. That was actually the quote that <laughs> was used. What do, you, what do you make of that? Is that basically just saying, well, we're going to do this, but we're just going to wait until we can get the best bang for our buck possible? I think that's absolutely what it is. Yeah. And these are savvy business people in these firms. So it, it makes sense that they would do that. And I'm not so unsure that this couldn't be to EY's advantage because they can still push through with the complex voting and approval of the process. 
and even more complex unwinding of these companies, the shared systems, the shared functions, the shared compensation and recruiting capability. I mean, all that stuff needs to be separated. And it would be much nicer to do that under controlled environment instead of, you know, some really tight, tight, tight deadline. Yeah. If they were rushing to get it, they'd get the deal done in December 21 to take advantage of, of, you know, record low rates and all that other stuff with it, that would have been a total mess. Yeah. I, I think this gives them the opportunity to, to do it right. Unfortunately, as they separate, they're still operating under that umbrella of conflict of interests and, and all those other limitations. So, so that, that idea of a soft separation, it doesn't, you know, in terms of the reasons to do this, it doesn't, it takes away the value of the first one. So, I mean, there's opportunity costs for waiting, right? You're, you're going to forego the, all the upside of the potential to what, save a billion or two in interest or get more at an IPO. I mean, that's what they're, they're yeah. weighing right now. And nobody has a magic ball into that outcome. That's why they get paid the big bucks. Yeah. One thing I'd like to ask you before we before we wrap up, I would encourage listeners, we'll put it in the show notes, to read the foundational article that sets this up because it's a good education on really kind of debt markets and, and equity markets and in a context that you understand because it's a, in, a, in a firm like yours, most likely. And so what would you suggest listeners do with this information? Like wh- what, if anything, should they be doing now given, you know, and, and I say now in a the long now, right? The, the next three to six months, not the now of the next week with this coming down, down the pipe, wh- knowing that this is going to happen at some point in the next 18 months, what should listeners be thinking about or doing now in preparation for that? If anything. It's a great question. This is an example of things that are going on regularly within any firm's operating environment. Some of these events more directly impact you than others. The other big four are probably paying closer attention to this than, you know, the bottom hundred accounting firms or, you know, IT consulting firms are probably not paying as much attention to this because they don't see the impact on them. So I think putting it in context is is important. But to me, there's so many lessons to learn here about always evaluating your strategic alternatives and what happens when a chess move is is made and what does that cascade across the board look like for firms, big and small, direct competitors or indirect competitors. And some people might see this as a distraction and maybe it's pedantic, but I, I find it an incredible case study in, in business and business strategy of you know the complexity of why these decisions get made, how they get made, and what are the repercussions both on the company, its direct competitors, and in the industry as a as a whole. But I just encourage people to to look at this and think about what are the cascading effects of this on my industry, and what does it mean to have an unfettered E and Y in my space. I like that. That's a really great question. And when you say an unfettered E and Y, you're really talking about NUCO, the consulting spinoff of this. Yes. You know, what does it mean? And to your point, I teased about this a little bit in our setup. NUCO is going to come armed with a lot of capital. 
it will have just raised a whole bunch of debt money and a bunch of IPO money as well. So it's going to have very deep pockets to go do whatever it wants to do. From a now, I'm not so sure about that. I'm yeah. not so sure about that. Really? You think <laughs> no, it'll take that I capital and that flow money it elsewhere? Is going to be transferred to the audit partners as a, a, as a payout. I suspect, depending on what the transaction looks like, the new co could be running kind of lean for a while. For a while. I don't know that, but I suspect, and, and they're going to be taking on a lot of new costs because now they're going to have to stand up their own systems, their own HR yeah. function, their own marketing function. They're going to have to rebrand the firm. They're going to have to build that brand, which is a huge investment. I think they're going to be operating pretty leanly for a while. Yeah. Well, I think that was going to be what I was going to say is for the marketers that listen to this podcast, I think it's a really interesting thing to watch what they do from a brand perspective. You know, we've seen this play out in a couple of other high profile instances. You know, years ago, it was when Arthur Anderson, you know, spun off its consulting business first as Anderson Consulting and then eventually Anderson Consulting had to create its own, you know, there was a there was a timeline on that, how long they could operate under the Anderson name. And at some point in time, they had to shut that down. And then that's when they became Accenture. I think you can think about other instances of like just in other sectors, you know, I think about like AT&T swallowing, oh man, I, I, I can't, Singular, Singular Wireless. This is like 20 years ago. And everybody at the time in the agency world loved this like brand that Singular had built. And everybody thought, oh my gosh, AT&T is going to shed their old selves and be the come singular. And they're like, no, they, they instantly shut that down. We're AT&T. AT&T's got way more value. So I think it's just going to be interesting to see what they do with the brand assets. You know, what do they do with, with EY? And so I think that's really worth paying attention to because it does, it, it's a great lesson in, in thinking about like, you know, where brand equity really exists in names and, and assets and identities and and what you do with them. Because I, I was one at the time that I thought Anderson Consulting would be really, really hurt by losing the Anderson name. Turned out to not to be the case at all. Some of it ended up being fortuitous. They got out from under a name that eventually got you know sullied. But actually, they created a new brand that was more powerful and more interesting and more memorable than anything that came before you know, in Accenture. So as a marketer, this is a really interesting thing to watch because of that. Because when you see these types of splits occur, a new entity is being created out of something, out of nothing. So it, it's got to have a name. And that name, what are they going to do with it? And that's really interesting to see. So. You know what I think is most interesting about that isn't the name, because the name will be fun to watch and see how they, yeah. they position that. And I suspect the Ernst & Young EY marketing people have grown proficient at branding. <laughs> they spend a, a lot on it. I'm not a fan of EY. I mean, seriously. Well, I'm never a fan of letters, but but um, yeah. And I would I would say I'm, I'm not so sure about your last comment, but that's okay. And that's not a criticism of anybody inside this. For I'm not picking on people. I just it's you know it's very difficult to build a very strong brand ability in a professional services firm because they're just not as you always say they're they're organizations that don't rely heavily on brand as much as as other sectors would. But which brings me to my point. Yes is the more interesting thing to watch will be how the cultures evolve. You're going to say culture. Because EY has a very strong and I, I would say very positive culture. And that's where the, the brand is going to spring from. And it'll be curious to see what the audit culture looks like versus the consulting culture and how that plays out. But I have no doubt that the outcome will be positive for them. 
just knowing the people that I know at E&Y in leadership positions, what they end up calling it doesn't matter. I mean, God, I remember when Accenture was named, what a stupid name that was, but look at it, right? You can brand anything. And what made Accenture Accenture was the culture, not the name. Wise words to end on, my friend. So, all right, that's a wrap. We've got our first behind the headlines uh, of 2023 done. And it was good. It was it was a lot of fun to kind of dive into this and think about all of the strategic implications and what's going on behind the scenes and, and what it means. So we will be back next week with another five steps episode, kind of in our five steps series and looking forward to a fun 2023. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, oh.